I want a trans Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> and I generally sent an email to Lizard. Nerd. Like... Hello, Jason. It's nice of you to join me again. How have you been this week, mate? How have you been finding it? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I think the most challenging thing I've ever found is going through a separation. I've got 50-50 custody with my children mm. and switching between dad mode, work mode and just me yeah. is a very chaotic thing to deal with. Um, we obviously went to that event, uh, when was that? That was Sunday, weren't it? And you you, you mentioned the the uh, Berry Market. Oh, the, the, the market store. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned it's weird seeing Jason in dad mode. And I think that's something that you don't really think about in yourself sometimes, isn't it? That like you're 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 switching between oh I'm just having a laugh, I'm just chilling with my sort of some friends, I'm young, you know, everyone goes kinda of goes back to that sixteen year old mindset of like I can do what I want and then suddenly you sort of snap I'm a responsible adult. Yeah. I know how to behave, I know what to do. And I think people experience that with work, doesn't it? And I think sometimes that speaks volume to like how the educational system prepares us for work you have to smarten yourself up so much and put on this mask and this persona around being in a workplace take sales for example you're never you really are you not in sales yeah i think it's it's highly contextual based on the person that you're talking to yeah because i would always um change a lot of my mannerisms to fit similarly with the other person yeah. so like body language is a big yeah. one so if they're sitting with their arms crossed and they're a bit laid back then you sit with your arms crossed and a bit laid back and it makes the other person feel more comfortable yeah um and th there's loads of those kind of things but i remember something that i used to be able to pride myself on really well was i could um i used to say this all the time but i i was really this is a Anyone listening who is trying to do a job interview, this is always a good one to say. Mm -hmm. But it comes quite naturally to me. And I said, um, I'm very good at finding out who someone wants me to be and then be that person. Yeah. So if I'm in, in sales and this person is sort of early 20s, they're going through university, they're a little bit shyer, that kind of thing, and they'll talk like they're always on the internet. I'm on the internet a lot, so I'll talk in memes perhaps, and yeah. I'll say some niche niche references, and then once I kind of get that back and forth going, then the other person feels really comfortable. It's like, oh my god, this this you need to remove the fact that you're a salesman from the conversation, mm -hmm. not in a manipulative way, but for that person just to kind of think, actually, this guy's kind of cool. I could, you know, he's all right. Like I'm I'm here because I have to be, because I need to get this product. But having a conversation with this guy, I would have had a conversation with this guy anyway. But yeah. this is quite fun. And then when I speak to, um, and I, I have quite a broad knowledge base on loads of different things. And I remember one that would come to mind was a builder who used to come in sometimes. I had a really, really good rapport with him and sold a lot to him. And, and he was a great guy. And he, he mentioned like in an offhanded um, comment that his, him and his company have just bought a new truck. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, we've just bought a new Dodge Ram. And, uh, and I was like, oh, is that the one with the V8 Cummins diesel? Like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, the one with the turbo. Oh, shit, really? Like, and we was talking about, what's the MPG on that? And like going into it, and it, that, getting someone's passion out yeah. in anything, not just sales. Like if you want to be friends with someone, you want to get find a partner, finding that thing that that person is passionate about and learning how to draw that out of them, like you're pulling a rope. And kind of just keep building like, oh my God, really? Because, and then if you have a little bit of knowledge 
to spark their curiosity and for them to keep talking about that, I find this fascinating, like, as a human. Yeah, I mean, th- this does speak to, like, psychology in general, doesn't it? Like, if you want to connect with somebody, the best way to do that is to draw their personality out yeah. and to, to draw on what they like. Forget about yourself. I think something that would be really, really good for helping um, people that have social struggles is to kind of learn a little bit like that. It's not about yeah. what you like. It's not about what you're thinking about. Just put the attention on them and treat them like you would want to be treated. Because I think we all uh, have that kind of mindset of like, I really wish someone was into what I like so that I could talk about it. So mm. I could. So if you listen to yourself saying that, guarantee the guy that you've probably walked past a million times does has had the same thought. So yeah, if they say something, oh yeah, I was playing this game last night. You go, oh that's interesting. I play a little bit of that. What's your favourite this? What's your favourite that? And you, you 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 said it there where it's like you get you build that rapport with someone, you get that conversation flowing, and then you can always just segue, especially as a salesman, just sort of say, and did you come in for anything in particular today? You know, it's just about yeah. how you put it across. You can always segue that little bit in instead of going, can I interest you in anything? Yeah. Which is then, I don't care about you. I care about yeah. making money. So like, the, And no one cares if you make money or not, unless course. it benefits them. And it's it's something that I found like a lot of new salespeople kind of skipped over. Yeah. And I think a lot of us in sales, because you was in sales as well, yeah. we would have KPIs or <coughs> key performance indicators. Yeah. And for, so I used to be at Curry's. So if I was in TV sales, the main area of that would be um, sort of sound bars, help setting it up, mm-hmm. wall brackets, that kind of thing. So if I take the guy with the Cummins diesel, if I was talking to him about it, I would find out, oh, he's actually quite a sports fan. He's into football. I'm really not into football. Yeah. But I know a tiny little bit just to pull that passion out. Yeah. And I, you can almost sound like you know what you're talking about. So I used to have a memory stick that used to have really, this really, really damn, I don't know what ever happened to that memory stick, but this thing used to get me sales. <laughs> and it was... Um, it was a Barcelona football game in 2017, something like that, and it was beautiful, right. stunning. And when I was talking to these people with football, I knew that that was quite an important game. Yeah. So I'd say, oh, do you ever see the Barcelona game in 2017? And then they would kind of go, oh, my God, yeah, because blah, 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 did this. I've got no idea if that actually happened, but I just, go, <laughs> but I just kind of go, yeah, 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 because I've got it right here. Look how good that looks on this TV right now. And then, like, you, you kind of, the TV's sort of sell on itself. Yeah. And the guy's sort of looking at it. I'm just like, yeah, you can kind of imagine, you know, you've got the lads around, some drinks going. And the good thing with this one, obviously, is because it's 75 inches, so absolutely everyone will be able to see it. Um, and then nine times out of ten, they'll then kind of go, yeah, but what's the sound like on it? And then you can kind of turn it up. And something that I used to have was a soundbar that I always knew how to sell well. Yeah. And then I would turn up that one instead. Uh, or after I've turned up the TV. And then they'll kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it, it's okay. And I was like, actually, there's a really good deal with this TV. It comes with this soundbar for an extra blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But don't say the price. Just say that there's a deal with it. Yeah. And then turn up that one. And then the bass is kind of coming out. And they go, oh, my God, yeah. And then they can start picturing this whole thing. And you're sort of painting this image. But you need to learn so much about the person. And I remember um, probably the the best one to sell soundbars this is such a weird tangent, but like if anyone who was getting into sales, like it's 
it's good. But the, the best one to sell soundbars, the example that I used to give and people would pick up on it quickly was, you ever watch a movie and sort of like the action's going on and you've got no idea what they're saying? Yeah. Because the bass is too loud, the yeah. explosions are going on. And sometimes in movies, the music is too loud. I can't hear what the person is. It's like I'm 19 and I have to listen with uh, with subtitles <laughs> on because I don't know what they're saying. Whereas I would kind of go, well, with this soundbar, there's different modes. So you can actually turn on nighttime, which will massively reduce the bass and enhance yeah. um, treble. So then you can really hear picture voice and things like that and it'll come out and when you said that to someone it's almost like it unlocked this oh my god i didn't even know that existed yeah and you're saying the soundbar what do i have to program it or anything and you go no no it's this button right here oh my god i didn't even know it's sold immediately it's yeah. like because it's no longer it's not about think about the bass and the cinematic like you would think for a sound no bar. well it's it's, it's the it's, usability for that person specifically it's also touching on those heartstrings there's a lot of scenarios and i think this this goes with anything creative as well um if you can relate a story that is very common like uh for instance the sound system that you said one thing that always comes to my mind when it comes to tvs is that the picture is always either too dark or too bright hmm. and if someone was doing that situation where there's like oh you could you know can you imagine watching this and you could put a dark film on even better to yeah. showcase it and then you tra- you could change the lighting I'd be sold on that TV. I'd yeah. want that TV. Yeah. The only problem at that point there is whether I've got the money for it. Yeah. And that's a me pro- a thing anyway because I'm very conscious about how Yeah, that's I when you kind of go into like the details of the sales of that person specifically. Yeah. But it is something that if you can have that little story that's like everyone can relate to, you can hook line anybody and you can yeah. almost at that point ask for any money. And this, this kind of comes back to like the psychology of it, doesn't it? Because that's just... One, relating to the customer, and two, giving them what they want. We we all have things that are in our life that's like, oh, this could be a bit better. Oh, this could be a bit different. And then it, 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 if someone's selling you that, if someone's being able to give you that, that's better than giving you food when you're hungry. Mm. I think that comes down to, like, that's a sensation that not a lot of people realise how powerful that is yeah. to give to somebody. Because a lot of people... <laughs> aren't going into the conversation wanting the other person to bring that up because mm. sometimes they don't even know it themselves yeah, yeah and then you'll kind of say it like that example of you ever get it when a movie and you can't hear what yeah. the person is saying and then they'll kind of go so like if you're not that technologically literate you up to that point might just think there's certain movies maybe my hearing's just not going well mm. you know maybe i should get that checked at some point and now suddenly you have a, let's face it a professional yeah. in the field will then kind of go, oh, it's usually because of this and you can actually change with this button. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, say that again so I wasn't really listening. And it's almost like you've given, um, you know, like colourblind glasses to someone. Oh, yeah. That, that is, that's something that I, I did it the other day because I've seen the filters on things like TikTok and that and it's been like, oh, cool, that's how dogs see. That's normal. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that that could be used for colourblind. And seeing the image, you could just go, wow, yeah. that's that's a different world. Yeah. As much as it is everything physical is the same, those colours really do change it. And 
it made me laugh because I think the video that I was watching at the time was one of those that's like, oh, check this out, everybody. This is what my husband can see. And they go, yeah, that's normal. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, I think I saw that one. <laughs> yeah, well. it's yeah. just like, you, you just can't believe that that's something that someone's just yeah. used to. Yeah. Because you're used to what you see. And I think, again, this kind of speaks volumes for like putting your feet in other people's shoes. Is that if you can open yourself up to that, um, to actually understand that somebody else sees it differently to you, you can kind of connect with people. Yeah. More. Because it's very easy to get someone to talk if you make it about them. Yeah. I think this is kind of key with like video games, which I do admit a lot of people seem to make the mistakes. Like, oh, I really want to make a, this type of game because I really enjoy them. No. Take what you like, what you want, and put it out of the way. Make something for the player that they're going to enjoy this mm. and that they're going to appreciate. And it's going to be about making them powerful. I think some of my most favourite games, and obviously I'm talking about myself here and I'm not talking about my developer mind here, is I really felt like the game has made me feel strong, mm. me feel powerful. I think the one that I really enjoyed the most, and I didn't play a huge amount of it, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, was Prototype. Oh, I loved Prototype. The, the way it's that so game good. made me feel, yeah. when I picked that That's game up the maker. first time, I was like, wow, I can launch myself across... Yeah. It's like how you could morph body parts. Yeah. How there isn't a third game is so well, baffling. Because I think... Oh, by the way, that's that's owned by Activision Blizzard, I believe. And they've it? just been bought by Microsoft now. Well, that deal sorry. has gone through. Yeah, I did hear about yeah. that deal. Um, so maybe there is another one in the works. I think where they went wrong, and the, this is just my opinion, this isn't hard Can I guess it before you say gone. it? Yeah. Is it because they made the main character of the first game the enemy of the second game? No, I didn't know that because I haven't played the second. Oh, really? Oh, no, okay. I've played okay, like two enough. thirds of the first right, go game. On, go on. Go and on, I don't me. really remember what like stopped me playing because I really enjoyed the game and the way it made you feel. But I am thinking that it is a, it's built too much around the narrative. It's built too much around the story. When a game that you just want to launch yourself from one section to another, because I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just the people that made the story. This is going down a deep rabbit hole that I can't, because I've heard really good things about like the Spider-Man games, mm. which is something that I would say is very akin to... It is very to, similar. Yeah? Yeah. Um, but I've heard really good things about the story of that game. It doesn't drive me to play the game. Because when I want a story-driven game, I want my choices to matter. When I think about narrative, I think about, oh, what can I do to change the outcome? How can I be a better person? How can I pick the right option in a scenario that I don't know what the right option is and then have to deal with the repercussions yeah. of it and kind of have that um, thought process? When it comes to games that I kind of want to explore the world... I need, I need a different type of narrative. I don't need the dialogue, 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 conversation, 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 cinematic style, yeah. you know, which I feel like those games kind of tend to lend towards. They'll give you like maybe an hour of gameplay and then 10 minutes of video. So I didn't pay for the yeah. the film here. I think what, I paid for the... What let Prototype down in that regard was the gameplay was 
really cool but the missions were boring because yeah. it's when we think about um, from a designer's point <coughs> of view certain um, I remember a game called Anthem which came out not that long ago and that was really hyped up and then it was terrible but it only really had two types of missions and that would either be go hit fetch quest so go here get the thing bring it back to me yeah. and then the other type is go here defend the point from enemies <laughs> And then get back to me. But like that's the only two. So when it would come to prototype, Spider-Man is another good example that does this. It's just those two. Mm-hmm. It's either go here, get the thing, bring it back, or go there, defend the thing, then come back. Yeah. And I think designers have a really, especially at that time period as well, because this is, I want to say 2007, 2008 kind of time was mm-hmm. when prototype one came out. I think two was 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, but it's hard, especially at the technology at the time, to expand beyond those types of missions. Yes. Um, but well, it's the that old MMO gameplay style, would have been really, really good if there was more different types of design structures. And that mm. was always one that baffled me for years. And I wanted to go to uni almost to solve that problem. Yeah. Because it was, I just, where do you get this new idea because you could boil every game really down to either yeah. being a fetch quest or go here defend the thing yeah. there isn't really a third fourth fifth one that's come into mind very well and i went to uni to try and kind of go where is the third fourth fifth and so why don't we see them do you so this is an interesting kind of topic do you consider um kill quests a fetch quest or a defend yeah. quest then because I always think when uh, when I'm looking at games, I, it, it's an it's probably more of an RPG style. Mm-hmm. I attribute it to MMOs because in an MMO you usually have about a million quests in the game. Yeah, they have to have so many because yeah. so many variations, but they are all the same. And I, th- I may have even heard someone talk about like there are like five quests and that's it, mm-hmm. and it just boils down to do I have to go and collect something and bring it back? Do I have to defend a location from an attack? Do I have to go and kill a bunch of people and then come back? Um, I think Escort was one of them as well, where I have to travel with somebody from point A to point B. Um, And then I suppose you could kind of add another quest in there of like um, just a go-to quest. Oh, talk to that guy. Talk to this guy. Those are the quests that really bug me. Yeah, the because, non the non returning quest. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just a it's a return quest, but it's not returned to the well, same person. Could you person. put a raid into that category? Because I'm thinking, like, because you obviously played World of Warcraft, and my yeah. MMO light of choice was Destiny, because it it's not it's not quite the same, obviously, mm-hmm. but it did have a, a lot of the mechanics like raiding. And, and I'm just thinking with raids. You had you go to the location, you mm-hmm. clear out the first area, then there's a jumping puzzle, then you go to the next area, you clear that out, and then there's another type so, of thing. And then you get like the final boss, or the second to last, whatever it was, and then the reward is just what you get in the raid itself. There's no one to go back to, and to a right. point, no one told you to go there. Yeah, I mean, um, if you go back to like classic WoW, there was a lot of quests that were go to the dungeon, do something in there, come back. But you, there was a scenario where you could, you have to go there for one thing, then somebody else will tell you to go for something else. And if you wow. didn't know where they were and they were in tangent, you'd pick up one, complete it, and then go, oh, I've got to go back there. 
and it's not necessarily a bad thing because yeah, it'll I happen think, in Destiny as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind that because repeating the same place makes sense. Um, because obviously farming is is a big thing of those mm. of like repeating the same thing over and over again. But raids in like uh, World Warcraft were very much go somewhere, kill the thing. Once you get to the end of that, leave. Mm-hmm. Go do the next one. Mm-hmm. There was never really like the most you could kind of talk about is the mechanics in the fight of dodging, jumping, not moving, and again, this kind of goes back to. Um, learning what development is it is very simplifying things and i think something that we do now a lot more than what we did when we were uh, before we just started our degree was we relate games to each other a lot more oh that's just like this and yeah. they could be wildly different but we can peel it back and see yeah, through the, it immediately the bare bones and be yeah. like oh yeah this is just another fetch quest yeah. and you you very much can you can look at most games and go oh it's a uh, I mean, the thing that always makes me laugh is when it's like, oh, it's a very open world game. It's like, you need to understand what the difference between visually open world and actually open world. Yeah. Because if I can't go from place A to place B to place C and have a different outcome from going place A to place D to place C, then it's a linear world. As much as there are multiple paths, you are still following point A to point B. And then every game does it because you guarantee when you get to the credits, you've reached your goal. Yeah, it might be after credit stuff, but it's just the same thing. And you just, it's very bare bones, monotonous. Yeah. But I think it's something that RPGs are picking up on more now and improving certain ones. Because the one that comes to mind. And I think credit where credit is due. Cyberpunk actually did this quite well in the first act. (laughs) I'm not talking about the rest of the game. The first act was so well polished. Not bug-wise, but design-wise. And one of the first acts, you had a mission where... It was in their E3 trailer, and that will be why it was so polished. But you had to get this robot spider thing from the Maelstrom gang. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. But there were so many different ways that you could get it. And immediately, your your head kind of just goes, well, can I just walk in and just kill everyone and grab it? Yeah, you can. You'll get police on the outside, and it will ruin a couple of other quests, and you won't be able to talk to those people anymore. And then you'll be hated by that gang for the rest of the game. But you can absolutely do that. However, if you're more of a corporate type of person... And you kind of go, is there some type of person in the corporate world that could have some type of dealing with Maelstrom that I can then leverage to then trade mm-hmm. and get my foot in the door? You can do that. Yeah. There's Meredith Stout was like the person for that. And then if you're a hacker and you want to go in without killing anyone and you want to make it so that no one even knew you was there and you got the thing and left, you can do that. And then you can have... if So my characters are always like Han Solo Mm -hmm. gunslinging smooth talkers that can talk their way out of anything so my guy just basically went up to the front door and was just like I'm an arms dealer and I want to trade and then I went in and then I had this conversation I managed to walk out with the robot Mm -hmm. and sort of paid for something else and then they ended up being a contact right and then in act three I had to get into a location and he was on the door 
mm. who was like part of that gang like a thing and it was like oh it's you yeah yeah come on in and it skipped like a good half an hour of gameplay because I already had that connection but that was a really good design wise of so many branching points and I do want to caveat that by saying that never happens again <laughs> like <laughs> that, that happens in the first perfect game design exactly once <laughs> <laughs> but that happens so perfectly in the first part of the game the act one and then it just progressively got more and more linear. As you can tell, they were rushing it through the door. Yeah. I've bought Phantom Liberty. I haven't played it yet, so I really want to see how they address that. This is, this that is something so well that kind of needs maybe a bit of um, highlighting over. One of the problems, because I've heard a lot nowadays, especially with the introduction to Baldur's Gate 3, people mm. sort of setting the tempo of what games should be like. The problem isn't really what should games be like, because I think we can all argue that that kind of thing where you have an impact later on and stuff like that, it really plays to the hearts of the player, is great. The problem is money. Like, I don't think people appreciate a lot of the time that AAA companies, 100%, don't really have the excuse they should be trying to put a lot of their money into the right baskets to get the game the right way. But those aren't normally the. I say this with really temperament in it. I don't feel like they're the best game developers. Mm. A lot of maybe the double A. Well, it's more to caveat by saying it's not that they're not the best game developers, it's more that they're not the best game development company. Because yeah. the people actually working there as the developers yeah. generally are quite passionate. And if they had more creative control, yeah. then they could do. Equally, there's probably a lot of people there that don't and they don't care. Yeah, and they would still just do that anyway. So that's where sort of like AAA gaming is where gems come out from yeah. because they have not AAA funding, but close enough. Yeah, <laughs> they have quite a bit of funding, but they have the passion of an indie studio. Yeah, well, this is the thing. This Hellblade is, Center if, Sacrifice if the, is a good example. If more money was kind of redirected towards the right passion of people, yeah, there would be better games out there. The problem then comes is that the people with the money aren't necessarily the people that are the creative people and they only look at one thing which is profits so yeah if I come up with a brilliant game and I'm part of a AAA company nine times out of ten it'll be funded because oh well you you made this game you helped make that game I've probably got a track record and stuff like that it doesn't matter what my personal skills are or the team that's going to be on it I mean something that um, somebody said a little while ago was like this company is really bad at making games now and it's like but have you realised that they could have had a whole staff rechange yeah. might not even be the same people yeah. just because the company name says any of them you know Blizzard yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. doesn't mean it's the same people working on that Bioware game. is a really good example because they made um, most of the popular RPGs in the 2000s early mm. 2010s um, Mass Effect is probably the one that's come into my most Dragon Age is another good one but they were all and, and Mass Effect was fantastic right until the end of the third one but Mass Effect was a really really good game and so was um, Dragon's Age but then they also made Dragon's Age Inquisition which mm-hmm. had its own problems admittedly I didn't play enough of it to know mm-hmm. but I did play Mass Effect Andromeda and that was terrible yeah. it, it really wasn't that great again same company but probably not the same people well even then it might be it could even be the same people and they're oh, they also made the wrong anthem. audience and stuff like that this is the thing that I think people don't realise sometimes is that it's not easy to stay up to date with what is current I think yeah. people find that generally difficult anyway you know anybody that's chasing the cool kids at school 
is change their style ten times in one year. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't sit around, and a game takes in a you know in an ideal world three years to make. So yeah. when you're making the game versus when you actually check out, you could be targeting a completely different audience. Yeah. Um, well, the world can change a lot. Yeah. In that time. I don't. I don't want to excuse like that. the last three years we had a pandemic and now yeah. two wars. Uh, like it's yeah, well, insane the, the, just how much things can change in the gaming community has shifted quite a lot we went from a much more hardcore um, and I think they're still trying to hang on to it a bit the one life situation to a much more casual mm. games like uh, Paleo that are very casual based have quite a good sized audience yeah. because that caters to a lot of people that have over lockdown started playing games for entertainment and go wow this is fun I could think of several like Stardew Valley, um, Animal Planet. They're all really light-hearted games. Animal Crossing. Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, I butchered that name. Um, but though those games really do cater to an audience, and when you're a developer, you can't make one game fit all. Yeah. So, you you do your best to target your audience, but again, that audience can change. I'm not the same person that plays the games I played twenty years ago. Yeah. Uh, 10 years ago I played a lot more single player games when I was younger partly maybe down to some personal issues but <laughs> it's still the fact that that's what I bought that's what I yeah. that's what I went hunting for I was like I need the next single player RPG game that's going to make me live that world yeah. whereas now I'm like oh, actually I want to I want to do survival stuff I want to and something that I've talked about um, with other people I really like the idea of a tower defence and survival game where yeah, I yeah we've spoken about yeah, it so mine cool. resources yeah. to build up a defence thing to then have to deal with a massive wave and yeah. the reason I talk about tower defence is because a lot of games that try to do this defend your base kind of in my opinion and do it wrong because they kind of chuck everything at you from all directions spawn everything yeah. go Whereas I kind of really want that maze type thing of like, no, they're going to come from the north this yeah. time. And games have done it before. I, um, there's a niche game. I don't know how many people have played it. Maybe somebody, a lot of people have. Called Viking. That's been on my wish list for a long time. Has it? Yeah. yeah. So I tried playing it on my computer, but it didn't work through Steam for some reason. Yeah. But I played it when it was on the PlayStation. When did that release? Uh, don't quote me on that one, but like early 2000s. Yeah. Um but that was a really, really good system that I have seen and attempted a few times since. Um, you had a lot of like stealth rogue type missions, and you could kind of run at it brute force, but you're, you're going to find it a lot more difficult. Complete these objectives, which a lot of it was basic RPG stuff, collect, unlock, mm -hmm. point, grab, defend, and then you'd have a massive war. Yeah. So all the allies that you've built over this couple days of playthrough then help you take down the entire enemy in that area. And you would literally have a massive army and you'd be running down with them. Then you'd have some dragons fly over and breathe fire. You'd have to take one point and destroy the catapults, take another point, destroy the boss there. And that used to be... Oh, I loved that game. Yeah. But and I've, I, I tried to play it in a nostalgic way of like, oh, I really used to like playing that, I want to play it again. And it just didn't hit the same spot. Because yeah. I now want to do the reverse, I think. So that was very much, I'm attacking people behind their defences. But now I want to defend and kind of protect and build yeah. up this. And the thing is, I think 
when we talked about these RPG elements where it's like, oh, you can do it this way, you can do it that way, that's the way these games now need to go. It's like, oh, you can defend it this way, you can build it that way, but you're not forced into a specific route. And something I think we've talked about as well is talent trees really discourage this. It should enable it Hmm. because the idea of a talent tree is that um, you can go down many paths. And it's it's very much a tree, a branching network of like you take one and then it's you've an got two options. Yeah. yeah, but most of the time something that happens, and I think this happens more and more because of a social side of it, is there's the perfect build, and because people say that that has a knock on yeah. effect. The the idea of the meta build yeah. ruins a lot of games, and maybe that's to do with the competitive nature. Um, yeah. Like, the competitive scene is very much there a lot of the time, especially for the... I think the more hardcore people have gone down the competitive route. Yeah. People seem to kind of, like, love their leaderboards. And this is, again, why those become a focus for game development. building on that that's come to mind is... I quite like racing games, because obviously I like cars. Yeah. And um, I think what ruined Forza online racing is the idea of the meta build. Yeah. So what I really liked about Forza was you could take if it was like an a class race so like i don't know it's hard to translate for someone that doesn't play forza yeah but that's sort of like a a high-end mid-level car i would then look at a car from 1980s that's way lower than that yeah so i'd kind of go ford escort xr 3i something like that and then i'd swap out the engine with a two-litre rally mm-hmm. engine, and then I change the gearbox to a se- sequential, and it's no longer four f- front-wheel drive; it's now four-wheel drive, mm-hmm. and it's got all the aero, and it's really low to the ground, and now it's been modified to that level. And I want to compete with people that are in like Mercedes of like two thousands to see how it would keep up. Yeah, but you would start going into like an A-class race, and then there would be a meta build for A-class racing. Yeah. And it would be someone that's in a weirdly modified car and there'll be, if there was a race of 10 people in there, five of them would have this car. Yeah. And it, it ruins it because it's sort of, I want to know how good my Escort is against someone else's Cosworth build that they've made. Yeah. Or, some, or their Mustang that they've put together. Yeah. But then you end up with this meta thing. And um, I think this is really prominent in Call of Duty. And, and first person shooters in general because I used to play Black Ops 2 mm-hmm. a lot back in the day and you would constantly kind of go oh, I'm not performing well in the game let me YouTube the best yeah. loadout for this patch well, and then you start playing that and then uh, this is what I was going to say with um, uh, there's Mario no, Kart there's no player agency is what I'm trying yeah. to get at. Mario Kart has a new flavour of the month every, every time there'll be a new racer with a new car with a new setup. this is the best and then they'll do a patch that will somehow get nerfed or something else will get buffed. Now this is the new one. I think some of the other games that kind of comes to mind and it's a bit more chaotic is like League of Legends. So this mm. is the top picked character at this month. And something I actually watched a little while ago, which I thought was a really clever thing, is that in that game, let's just take one situation, which is called the top lane, which is a solo one versus one fight opportunity with your character and theirs. The, someone was acknowledging the pick rate problem is, and it was, it's really good. Um, so a hero's pick rate goes up, and everyone starts playing it. Everyone's like, "Oh, this is the great, this is the best top lane." Blah 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 blah. 
and then his counterpart gets picked more because more people are playing that one. So now this hero is now the top player picked. So it has that like, right, okay, oh, yeah. now, you, now you play this because that's being picked so much. And I think that's really the way it should happen to a point. The problem is what I hear and what I see a lot of the time is nerfs and changes happen, which then people change their picks. Whereas what you should be doing is listening to the meta and going, well, I know this beats that. It's the rock, paper, scissors game. Yeah, yeah. That's what these games should be based around. It's like, okay, well, and when I think about racing games, I think about speed, acceleration, drift, brakes. Those should be counterbalanced. Realistically, there's only four cars, but they look different or you, you know, so that's the way you're playing the game is you can make your car look any way you want, but there's one or four cars. Are you racing against the speed cars? Okay, take a drift car because that beats them. And yeah. then it's that mentality that you are just playing another... And this is something I've kind of related a lot is every game nearly, when it's competitive, is a rock, paper, scissors game. It's What you game balancing exists for a reason yeah. and you've just boiled down what game balancing actually is. Yeah. And I think sometimes people don't do that. Maybe because it gets too hung up on numbers and things like that. Um, I always thought this when I did play World of Warcraft um, how is it so difficult to balance a damage thing when if I do 10,000 damage in one single attack that takes me 5 seconds to cast but you do 2,000 damage on something that takes you 1 second to cast surely that's equal because in 5 seconds you're going to do 10,000 damage I've that thought as well yeah. I, I know when it comes, and this is usually the problem, when it's player versus player, mm. the health pools and everything is a lot yeah. lower, so 10,000 damage in five seconds could one-shot somebody, whereas I might have to move a lot, and the range issues and stuff like that, there's a load more factors in to take into consideration. But when it comes down to like the generic, I almost think they they might need to just strip these stuff back a bit, which would help the situation. Um, and try to boil it down but the number crunching to me was always so and maybe it's because I haven't worked on it and seen the, the the way it's being built but it always seemed so straightforward if it takes me five seconds to do it I should do this amount of damage and I should do the same amount of damage yeah. in that time and if I mean I know for example Overwatch um, balancing they have a lot of issues with uh buffing other people so a mercy can increase the damage of any yeah destiny had this as well yeah yeah so if i can amplify your damage then suddenly what was balanced is now unbalanced yeah but then my mindset is well if you both have access to it yeah is it it's balanced destiny's way of getting (laughs) out of that was to not let things stack so that yeah. used to be in a raid, you would have like a warlock that would put down a well of radiance and it would basically mm-hmm. buff your weapon damage. But then a titan can put down their bubble and then if you're inside that bubble and you just step out of it, you can have weapons of light, which would also buff your weapon damage. Cool. And then hunters would also have something yeah. where they would throw down smoke and it would also buff your weapon damage. Yeah. So then you ended up with like, if everyone has the meta build with the meta guns, with these buffs all together, you would melt a boss really quickly. Yeah. And the problem is, people actually really enjoyed that. Because it took a long time for you to get to that point where your whole team could actually do that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that you just accidentally stumble across. Mm-hmm. So Destiny's way of doing to get rid of that was it would no longer stack. 
yeah. would just take the one that's improving it the most. The one and that keeps that most. one. Yeah. Yeah. And and then obviously people then had to look further into different guns that they could use. Yeah. Rather than just like these well, different abilities. But like a, an area of game design that we don't really talk about much is economy design. Yes. And economy design doesn't mean financial. No. That means balance across the board. If it was a management game, it can include financial. <laughs> but if it was well, this Overwatch, you would have several economy designers whose yeah. sole job is to make sure that it's all balanced. This is something but I was not balanced, talk about. But sorry, but not balanced to a point where no one has a powerful build at all. Yeah, so this is something I was going to talk about. So going back to... Uh, we've talked about it a lot and we'll try and figure some other examples. But go back to World of Warcraft... Uh, something that used to happen a lot, and I think this was when it was a bit easier, is you'd bring specific classes with specific specs because they would bring mm. a specific yeah. buff. Yeah. And then you go, right, we need one of these, we need one of them, we need one of these. And they tried, and it kind of had a negative impact, I think, from a lot of the feedback I heard, was they tried to give that buff to more people in the right. hopes that, well, you don't need every... You don't need one of every hero. I mean, when there were 10 classes and you would go to a 10-man raid, you would think have one of each class because at that point you've you've balanced it and you've got one of everything because mm -hmm. the pve element the player versus environment is very much we should be trying to almost make a puzzle piece a, j a jigsaw i have one component you have another it's put together it's now a completed picture Whereas I think the problem still always comes back to that player versus player, which That's then does always where balance is hardest. Does have a lot of attraction from people mm. where your puzzle because again this is where they kind of need to separate player versus environment versus player versus player because yeah. then it becomes less about um, gluing pieces together to make the perfect puzzle piece yeah. and now countering each other. Yeah. So you play rock, I play paper. You play paper, I play scissors. And we, we have that ebb and flow of... And I thought this was the way it was going to work in places like... In games like Call of Duty and stuff. Because whenever you die, you respawn. So you should have that option to go, oh, well, he's playing uh, this build, so yeah. I'll play that one. Because now I counter him. And now I've got the advantage. Obviously, other things that factor into that are skill. And I think a lot of people ignore that. Like being, having perfect reaction timing or having faster reaction timing um, versus having better aim and stuff like that can massively and then when change. you just throw in skill-based matchmaking mm -hmm. on top of that yeah, and then feel that fire. But I remember something for Destiny specifically that I can think of was a lot of the community, myself included actually, <laughs> were big advocates for making sure that PvE and PvP are very separate in how guns and abilities yeah. performed. Because the whole reason to stop the stacking wasn't because you're melting bosses so quickly, it's because you're killing other team members way too quickly and mm -hmm. too efficiently. And it became like if a team member... Sorry, if a team was all talking to each other via Discord and you was going against... A team that didn't, you would win every single time. Yeah. And it wasn't a case of because you had a better strategy, it was a case of you understood the meta of the game better than the other yeah. team. Well, but again, the, the changes that you then put in to reduce that PvP element 
really screwed over people that really yeah. like that for PVE yeah. because it's not cheating against the boss necessarily to work out how quickly you can melt a boss because again yeah. you're not really doing that day one because it's going to take a long time to figure this out so I get it if you was doing it from day one but you're not we're talking like three months after the raid released this is and now you're trying to work out you're trying to speed run how quickly you can melt the boss and now that changed because of it, like I'm not a PvP player, so I never actually played it, so I never actually saw any of the benefits. All I know is my build no longer works. <laughs> yeah, well, PvE is very much should be built around the learn practice master. PvE, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that whenever you're going against a boss, you find out what they do and how yeah. they react. You practice that again find and again and again. And, yeah, yeah. You, you work it out, and then you become a master at it. And the reality being, and I, I get it, there is still a competitive nature, especially in raiding. Um, they love to add things like mythics and mythic plus, and make it incredibly difficult. Yeah. But then it just gates the um, the information behind it. One thing I've always hated about MMOs, especially World of Warcraft, is that they have a 10-man and a 25-man raid. If I can't get... 25? Yeah, if oh, I yeah. can't get a 10-man or a 25 people together, I can't experience that entire content. It's bad enough trying to get yeah. five people for a dungeon that's supposed to be everyone could do it. And they yeah. even added in systems to try and make it more accessible. So they have LFG built into the game? So they did, but it just created more problems. Because... You then get people that are completely have no idea yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. You can't hold their hand in any way, and you you can't you can't say sorry I don't want to work with you because you're and it's very new person friendly, but then the average person that can't get the raiding team but yeah. can't also, uh, but has no other option is like well I'm left and I generally sent an email to uh, Blizzard. Uh, this was probably about 15 years ago. <laughs> Nerd. I, uh, this, was, this was early Wrath of the Lich King. I said, why haven't you created a single-player version of World of Warcraft? I would play that in a heartbeat, because I love the story. That yeah, even if you just called it Warcraft. Yeah. Well, this is what I thought with the movie. <laughs> I'd play the show. I was like, oh, they're bringing out the move. They're going to tell the story from start to finish. You're a multi-billionaire company, yeah. and you flop after one film because yeah. of some bad reviews. Pick yourself I up. I actually quite like that movie. I loved it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I hate the fact because, and I'll say something here that's very, um, uh, I can't think of the word now. Um, Divisive. Uh, against what everybody else thinks. Okay, yeah. Um, Daredevil movie. Never everybody sorry. everybody over here goes, oh, it was a terrible movie. I hate it. I was like, I love that movie. Yeah. And this is the thing. I feel like every time every time I see something, I'm like, wow, that was amazing. I could literally sit here and name like 10 movies off the top of my head. I'm not going to. I won't yeah. put anybody through that misery. Um, but I could think of several things that's like, yeah, that, that could have done with a sequel. That could have done with a sequel. But people just go, who's not making the money? Yeah. You know a movie that I thought was like sacrilege that that didn't have a sequel? Go on. Hancock. Did you ever watch that film with Will Smith? I, I did watch the film, and I will admit I really liked the ending to yeah. the point where I was fine not having a second. It was it was very much something that I think would have been great, like a DC thing. Yeah. Where, or, well, I say DC, Marvel does it better, in my opinion. If they bought but the rights bring to a Hancock, few different heroes in, be yeah. so, could you imagine, right, the Avengers 
and how that is, right? <laughs> and then you've just got this fucking jerk off over here in the corner, Hancock. It's just that he's just a dick, well, Will Smith, constantly. Again, because it, it, I think it's one of those situations that that film must have made its money and made a really good hit. I think it did. Just I think nobody, it was critically acclaimed. I nobody made the second, and yet a, a film that literally is like, wow, I really enjoyed it. Oh, but it's got a load of negative reviews. It's been cancelled. Now you you immediately say to yourself. It got a load of negative. I understand it's cancelled, but those ones that are like that was yeah. amazing. It got so many reviews. Never see it again. And yet we get repeats of the same movie. And I won't mention them, but the Disney, the Disney movies. <laughs> like right now, they are just on it. Like we're remaking everything, but not the film that I want remade. And I'll, I will say this: um, National. Tre- no, what am I saying? Not National. Um, Treasure Planet. Yeah, if they man. made a live yeah. action Treasure Planet, I'd watch that. Yeah, but all the other ones, I don't care about Snow White. It was a, it was a fine movie when yeah. it was made. I loved it as a child. I grew up on some of them stuff, and it was amazing. But you really need to stop remaking the same stop thing. Stop beating the dead horse, man. <laughs> yeah. the horse died decades ago. Because the one thing I will stand behind is when those movies were made, they were made in an era that was very much built around um how people are looked at and, and you know a lot of people were like oh women are helpless and women need protection and we're, we're moving away from that and i'm happy that we're moving away from that but you don't have to redo that movie or change that movie yeah to get that point across or to do it you can literally just make a different movie because these yeah. companies have the money yeah then they're not they're not sitting there going I can't feed my kids today. Yeah. I feel like a really good example of that was Black Panther. And what do you mean? Sorry. Because that was critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. fantastic, mm-hmm. and sparked its own form of culture. Yeah. And it didn't replace anything. Do you know what I mean? Like it, there, yeah. there was never a White Panther. Like, like <laughs> no, they they I mean, always just had Black Panther, and they did it so incredibly well, and they were so respectful to cultures that are around that kind of environment, and made it this incredible thing. And it's such a, a, a good example because again, it didn't replace something; it just made a really, really, I, really good thing. I would question its heritage. Now, I'm not going to sit here and butcher somebody that has clearly done a lot of amazing stuff. The Marvel industry is really great. But there is a question there of whether it was originally designed in comic book era to keep inclusivity. Because one of the, the main thing I've always liked is the story behind the creation of Spider-Man. The reason he is a superhero completely covered is because he could beat anybody underneath. The mm. irony is when you look at um, superheroes like Batman has had so many actors over the lifespan of that than films, I, there are God knows how many yeah. films with God knows how many actors. I can't keep track of them now. I think it's like seven or eight. Uh, it's a very high but amount. One, you could do the simple thing, which is the best thing to do, which I think they should do all the time, is replace the character as well as the actor. So like the James Bond thing, where it's not just... Mm. No, I don't know if James Bond does that, actually. It does. It's always James Bond, though, isn't it's, it? It's, what, because James Bond is an alias. Yeah. James yeah. Bond 007 is an alias, but they do make it known that there are multiple people yeah. that are Bonds. And and that's that's good way of doing it, and you just accept it. Because I'll always say, like, uh, take Black Panther, for example. When he passed away, 
Yeah. You can't do anything about that. Yeah. But you can just go, and what they did with the next film, which I think was not the best way of doing it, but it was a really, that they did well, is they said, no, he's died in the, the, in the, in the chronological order now. Um, so it's just part of the story. And you, you then bring the next person in, and now, I've forgotten her name, his sister, that is the next yeah. Black Panther. And you just keep doing that. Yeah. And I wish they'd do that more often. It's just accept that you have to give up this character mm. because that person played it. And I will admit, the actor doesn't make the character as such. Iron Man. Um, but I it, couldn't they, see that being anyone other than I couldn't, But I could 100% see them passing the baton down in a different way. And yeah, they're kind of like trying to do that. Well, I mean, even because I, I think the Iron Boy. I think the best thing with the way that they've been going is to give it to Spider Man. But yeah. I know there's been a lot of talks about that. There was obviously the, in the Black Panther movie, there was a new Iron Man type character, somebody that I has seen it, yeah. okay. So there's somebody in there that is at university at the moment, and they create an Iron Man suit. Yeah. So. It's not Iron Man. Yeah. It's it's different, but yeah, it's I very think it, much. Yeah, the same I thing think it's more robot armor. It's more. I can. I couldn't see anyone other than Robert Downey Jr. playing, playing Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more than Iron Man. And that's the thing because that's the thing that I've always been like pulled away from um, DC is the Batman situation. Even Superman. There's been some great Superman. I can't really complain about any of the Superman. Yeah. Um, over time, I can definitely complain about some of the Batman because some of them have just been different. Um, Did you like the new Joker? Oh, yeah, not too bad. I, I still can't replace the Dark Knight one in my mind. Admittedly, yeah, he went down a dark path to become that, and I wouldn't wish that, that on anyone. Kirk Bain? I can't remember his name, but he. You're gonna kill us in the comments for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Joaquin Phoenix, but the new changing character. the changing the actor for the character. I just think if you're gonna do it, you need a very you need to do it and not then condemn it straight away. Mm. You don't try it and go, oh, that didn't work. Mm. Either try it, fail, and just move on. Because the character Batman, unless, unless again, this is where I was coming from. Is like the Spider-Man was created and it was actively said that anyone could be the Spider-Man. But do that in the story. Say, so-and-so's died. He's gotten too old. He's passing the baton. Miles Morales. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, that, that's, like, when it comes to, like, inclusivity as such, I think that's a brilliant thing. Yeah. Like, Spider-Man has just changed um, ethnicity, and that's fine. Like, there's no problem with that. But if you turn around and... But Miles say, Morales was very different than Peter Parker. Yeah. And they uh, accentuated that really well whilst also being respectful for the culture. Again, it was the same thing with Black Panther. Yeah. When you try to say, oh, now Peter Parker's this and that and that, it's just like, just you don't need to do that yeah. to get the same point across. I want a trans Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> We've got that on record yeah. there. <laughs> Why not? Let's, let's like go this, really different. I, mean, I, I, I really liked, um, what's his face that played? Jason Aqu Momoa. Yeah, Jason Momoa that played um, Aquaman. I think that was... Um, because I, I, really I know Aquaman had a lot of hate growing up and he yeah. he really looked like something when you go back to the comic books yeah. and I think no I think the comic books he looked alright it's just the vibrant colours were definitely um, it was a it was a it was a taste that I'm sure a lot of people would like but the yeah. general pop, populace was like no that just looked weird mm. and that's just something like you got to move on from 
because some of the I think some of the cartoons that go on nowadays paint him as a very um, it's it's either that fifty fifty they either completely make a joke out of him and he's just a washed up yeah person or they actually make him a pretty decent person and I think Jason Momoa did a really good job with Aquaman bringing that character to an yeah. actual respectable character and that's what I'd like to see and you there's obviously a translation when it comes from comic book to cartoon to movie that you're going to have a difference but whoever you pick just pick them run with it and then stop trying to micromanage it and then replace and replace and replace it's like once the story's been told because to me and i know the dark knight trilogy is an aftermath of the other ones but i would have been happy with those three movies and never watched another batman movie ever again yeah, when they're done so well, you shouldn't replace it or can't replace it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you go back to... Because I've got no problems with the original Batman, but there was something just weird about the... Like, it was very much its era. Yeah. And I'm sure loads of people loved it. But if I, whenever I watched it, I was just like, what the dickens am I watching? This is so weird. This is so, like... See, Tom you, and Jerry type style. Did you like the new Suicide Squad? I, I haven't watched that one. Really? Yeah. I, I'm oh, really do yourself put off a favour, man. Well, I'm put off because I really liked the first one. Yeah, but James Gunn is so, so good at directing know. this. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've, I've heard a lot of... I mean, I've seen a lot of his movies and he, he is good. I'm just I, I in that stage like in my one. life where, I like, I when I find something I like, I don't really want to ruin yeah. it and then taint it. I I, I, would, <laughs> I, I, I do agree, and I actually quite like the first Suicide Squad, but the second is so different because it's really different. I think the problem I've I've had, and this does stem a lot to like what's happened over the last few years, because there's a lot of like strikes happening now. There's a lot of problems that people are facing, and. When I watched the ad for Suicide Squad, I was already kind of put off it, uh, for the second one, sorry. And then there was just a load of other stuff around it, and I was like, is that Suicide Squad or is this? And it wasn't really clear to me, which kind of then kept me put off it. Because I don't want to knock it, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it's the John Cena movie... Yeah, there's, there's, because he was he was in that, wasn't yeah. he? In Suicide Squad, too. he's so good. In that. I'm not because the thing is, he's such I, good I like actor. his I yeah. like his films a lot of the time, but I think it came down to like a lot of memes being done about it's just oversaturating yeah, yeah, the yeah. same yeah. thing. So I just don't want to watch it. But I I really liked him in Suicide Squad because it really lent into that American fake patriotism. Right. That that concept. I'm going to do what's right. So I'm going to put down this child because they're a terror. And it's like, and anyone looks like going, whoa, 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 whoa. But like, but it, it's that, and it constantly brings. It's so funny. You, I think you would actually really the, like it. Because the other it, reason, but it's poor, it doesn't take away from the first one. Mm-hmm. It is a completely different story. Right. Same kind of characters. About fifty percent of the returning characters. The yeah. other fifty are new. Um, but you you wouldn't look at it and kind of go, oh, they've remade the first one. It, it's not a remake. Yeah. It's just a well, different. I liked, I liked Will Smith as Deadshot. I thought that was a really good yeah. Yeah. character. The biggest thing I didn't like about the first one was the Joker. It's just because, to me, the Joker is always... I oh, God, that was Jared Leno, him. wasn't it? I don't... I, oh. but no disrespect to the actor in that. Yeah. that. He played his role really well. Yeah. It's just the money and the... 
everything like that. Like to me, it's the like Joker was gangster. always yeah. yeah. To me, the Joker was always somebody that um, they didn't care about. Oh, what is it's the line from the second Batman movie? Some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, so like, that was that character because that is probably one of the most villainous things you could actually yeah. make. It's not. Oh, I've been traumatized when yeah. I was younger, or oh, I just want to be rich and I just want to be famous, which is a lot of the villain stories yeah. that you get. And I was just like, wow, that was actually a new outlook that this guy just yeah. wanted to cause chaos. And I'll admit, it's not like a, a a good message to send to people, but it was still a really good villain that I think everybody could kind of get behind hating. Yeah. And but he never really did anything. I mean, he was very much like squandered by money. You know, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't have all this wealth, so he could hire a bunch of goons to go and do the job for him. He had to go and do it himself. Yeah. And he had to. And something I really like about the second movie is that moment where he's overlooking the two boats, and he thinks one of them's going to blow up, or both of them are going to blow up, and then you see that like disappointment in his face as like humanity prevailed. That's such a good moment because yeah. I really like that in films where it's like. I think a lot of people could probably relate to. This. There's a lot of stories where it's like, oh, people sound like absolute horrible how could you do that I really like it when films show a sense of humanity that we can because it really kind of speaks to that um, that uh, perfect world that uh, what was that Eden or sort of thing Um, there's that uh, type of world isn't there yeah I know what you mean yeah Um, like paradise of Eden yeah like utopia utopian world right the perfect world and as much as I don't think it's a reality, it's still nice to kind of work towards it. Something that um, I do for myself is I set unrealistic goals to make sure that I'm always moving forwards. We had a little talk a little while back about contentment. Yeah. And I've always looked at content as being the bare minimum to be okay, to be alive, to be happy. You know, happy enough to be moving forward, to be able to look forward and look to the future. And that's meeting your basic needs. And I've had a lot of conversations with people that have obviously got a different definition of that. But to me, I always, and I don't do this, try to do this in a negative way, but I strive to be perfect. Not because I think it's achievable, but because then I'm doing the best I can to be that better person. Hmm. And I'll never call myself a great guy, amazing, friendly, you know, and whatnot, because I will make a mistake. I will do something wrong. I'll have a bad day. And you know something will go terrible and I'll, I'll lose my temper and it's not about me sitting there going oh I didn't achieve perfect I should go and end my yep. life type thing it's I didn't do well today okay do better tomorrow because I just think that mentality as much as yeah. I'm guilty of it like I'm not the the best person in the world and I know in hindsight I'm saying I'll never say it so no I know, I know two, what you mean yeah. two crosses there but I don't think there's a problem with striving to be the best you can. Yeah. There's a problem with um, being negative about yourself yeah. when you're not achieving that. Because you can yeah. really just aim to be the best and kindest person you can be and just accept that today was a bad day and move on. Yeah. And I think that comes from my belief in humanity can be perfect. We can get there. But it's not going to happen today, and you got to just keep working to it. And yeah. I think that's something that's really powerful in movies, in games, that you can sell. You can kind of create that, get to that end goal, get to that perfect ha- happy ending. There's, I think I've spoken about this before. I would love a game 
that does do a sad ending. I think I'd like to see movies do that too. But I find that most people just go towards the horror genre. It's like, we'll just kill everybody off or we'll just prove that this person's wins. It's hard. There's a movie that comes to mind when you say that called Siberia and it starred Keanu Reeves and I hate that film. Mm -hmm. And I hate that film because it felt similar to John Wick. Right. Like the best parts of John Wick. Yeah. But he was retired and he didn't want to do this anymore but he also wasn't like John Wick. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the whole film kept built. I'm going to spoil it because it's a shit film. And uh, <laughs> but like the whole spoilers in yeah, case anybody yeah. doesn't want to hear this. <laughs> uh, it's got it's got three out of ten on IMDb. I think. <laughs> but it get it builds up to like this crescendo at the at the end where it's just like it's him versus the bad guy. It's that kind of thing. Mm. Get shot and dead. Really? Yeah, and that's where like the film the film ends with like a zoom out of his bleeding corpse on the ground. Dying, that time. and then it just cuts the credits, and I, I was kind of like, that I wasted two hours, <laughs> like that. That's all that was. So I get, I know what you mean about having a movie with like the sad ending, but I think it needs to be, ending. it needs to be done really, really well because otherwise you'll end up with that effect of me kind of going, that was a shit film. Yeah, it's not just a sad ending. I think it's like where the villain actually wins and stuff like that. Because one film I think about is the Infinity War. Biting. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, but when they found, knew that that was going to be a yeah, yeah, but two-part. it's still it's still. I think, we, I think we that's all a good knew that that it, was going yeah. to be a two-part series. Obviously, yeah. Deathly yeah. Hallows, but you yeah. you ended up having this part of like, oh, that's the bad ended, guy yeah. actually won. I mean, well, that, How do we get out of this? That that speaks to like the cliffhanger side of things, isn't it? Where yeah. they kind of like leave you on the edge of your seat, going, oh, where? I think it that's go? where TV shows always but, have the edge. Yeah, but that. It's just kind of that situation that they always resolve it still, and I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah, I just think it would be interesting if someone could do it like really well, where it just no, that is the ending. Yeah, uh, without going down this like horizon, because the the film that kind of makes me think is um, the Law Abiding Citizen. No, sorry. Okay, well, it, I'm in two minds with that film because the good, the the entang- the person that you think is like the hero, isn't supposed to be the hero, and they end. This is a bit of a spoiler. They end by getting killed at the end of it. Lovely. Um, but they're also the main character, and you know why they're going through that. So mm. they lose their family really early on, and then they try and get back at the killers for doing yeah. it. And they really go um, vigilante style, where they're tugging everybody involved. So not just the, the people that actually hurt them, mm-hmm. but the police that didn't arrest them properly, the team that didn't do that didn't help the governor that did that sentenced and this that and the other and it gets right down to the last minute of like I'm trying to because the whole thing was I'm trying to teach the investigator a lesson is you can't just give criminals what they want you have to see it through to the end and in the end he does die but he gets beaten by the cop and I right. think that's such an unpoetic ending yeah because I think a lot of people can kind of think back if my family was killed by a bunch of killers and I go to the court and they get off, or the guy that I watch do the most of the bit, because this is obviously what happens, he gets off by blaming his other guy. Mm-hmm. So that's not justice. Yeah. And the ending is that the guy that got wronged in the first place, who shouldn't have because his um, prosecutor took a deal, and was like, oh, we can get this other guy instead of the main guy. We've got no evidence they might both walk. Yeah. A conviction's better than nothing. Um 
and it was that situation where like it, like the person that was wrong should not have died in the end you kind of expect that happy ending and then it just was like no and I kind of think it's a little bit to do with how that film was portraying people because you kind of felt for the the main protagonist being um, the victim, but then he started doing things that was obviously becoming the bad guy himself. Joker. Kind of. No. Like the new Joker. Oh, is that the new Joker? Is like yeah. that? Is it? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, have you not seen it? Seen it? Um, is that the one where Joaquin Phoenix? I feel like I have seen that. I just because I think one. I think that's the one where he's kind of portrayed as a really nice guy, but then he goes bitten. Same, yeah, it? like I think so. I think the real horror of that film was because it was relatable, and I yeah. think I think this is where American Psycho also comes into it, mm-hmm. because I, I I'm of the belief that American Psycho is a black comedy, really. Right. As bare bones, that's also what Brett Easton Ellis, the writer of that, also stated. Yeah. Um, but the horror, the real horror in both of those movies and stories is because you actually see yourself in the villain and it makes you question yourself. And that's where like where the, the horror lies. And I think in Joker was this constant back and forth of beatdowns yeah. constantly in his life. And you kind of look at it and it's like, God, can, this guy just can't catch a break. Yeah. And it gets more and more crazy and that kind of thing. And it's... It shows a lot about a person how long they hold on to. No, he's a good guy in the bad situation, and then more and more things come, and it's like, when do you start letting that go? Yeah. And by the end of the film, where he's obviously Lots of on work. the talk show, <laughs> yeah, and it, that final button was pushed. Yeah. So and I... that sort of sent him over the edge. And now, congratulations, I'm now the Joker. Yeah. I am the Joker. That is me now. I've done, I've done this thing and this is now me. I'm curious to know the psychological impact of that because, like you said, it's very relatable early on. I think a lot of people kind of go through life with a lot of negativity, a lot of people putting them down and it's like, oh, you won't do this or I'm going to do this and people, a lot of their dreams aren't really met and then uh, I think a lot of people kind of go, oh, I'm going to do that and then, oh, I don't have the money or this crops up, that crops up. And we all get a little bit of like, victim syndrome sort of thing don't Mm -hmm. we where it's like i just cannot catch a break today everything's going negative it's easy to blame on someone else yeah um and i think a lot of people probably feel like that they could break at any minute and Mm. i think that's something that um i wonder if people took that film in the way that it possibly is made is that just be mindful that this if you keep going down this dark path that that could be where you end up and I don't think anyone wakes up going, oh, you're not going to be a serial killer today. Yeah. Or I'm going to hurt people. But you can definitely tell, like, in moments of rage, in excess, that if you push someone's buttons the wrong way enough time, they will explode. And yeah. you kind of have to deal with that. And it, it's difficult because no one should ever... Like, I, I generally think this is a very difficult thing to deal with, with, um, like, criminality and that. If you push somebody to the edge and they snap, who's really at fault? Because mm. we only really nowadays blame the person that committed the crime. And 100%, we should be held accountable for the actions. Yeah, the take. one that pulls the trigger is the one that pulls the trigger. Yeah. But there's a motivation yeah, behind why he's holding the gun. You know, I, I've, I think I've seen, um, this might have been a, an investigation thing or not, but there was somebody that said, pull the trigger 
or I'll shoot you. And I think that's something that we get into sometimes is like that mentality that we feel like a gun's being held at our head, hence why we pull the trigger on somebody else. And that's that's the problem there, isn't it? It's like there's no ramification to the person that makes you pull the trigger. Mm. And I think that's a societal issue that we have. I don't think there's a solution for really because, again, you don't watch the person that's breaking and going through that issue. Um, but you see the reactions that they yeah. have and then you can't help but say well you shouldn't have done that and like that <laughs> that video that me and you referenced quite a bit everyone is caught up in their own world yeah because everyone's life is just as complex and nuanced as anyone else's like we all like to think that we're unique but in that way we're not unique at all actually yeah. Every, everyone has issues dark areas light areas all those kind of things and, yeah, I mean, and again, I think that is where like the horror of Joker and American Psycho comes out is because you can relate to it. I just wish there wasn't so much stigma about talking about it. Yeah, because I think a lot of people can agree. I mean, this is the whole thing about like men's mental health that's been going on for such a long time now. Yeah, men have been told to grow up, stop being a baby, get a hold of yourself. For such a long time, mm. the idea of talking and being honest with people is scary because you don't want that constant badgering. Then you kind of do that to yourself where you say, can't cry, can't cry, don't cry. And the reality being is, well, what's wrong with a few tears? Mm. You know, it's good to let your emotions out. It's not good to bottle them up. We, yeah. you know, we've acknowledged that a lot nowadays that really if something upsets you, you should talk about it. But some of the stigma, I suppose, comes from, well, if I talk about it, then they'll get defensive. They'll start accusing me. I guess it's different if you talk to the person that's also the person that's pushing those buttons rather than just a friend that you need to talk to about a situation. Yeah, I think the problem... That they're not involved in. Yeah, the problem still comes that if... Because this is something I think is quite common in um, men's industry and stuff. People keep pushing buttons because that's just considered banter. Mm. And there, there is a line where you've passed that banter line, but nobody stops still. Yeah, and then becomes like one way. This banter. is what I think happens a lot of the time when like school shootings and that happen. I'm, I'm not defending anyone for doing it, but I can guarantee several people bullying one person and then that continues. And even though someone could speak to them and say, yeah. stop, all right, I'll stop. Someone else will come along. They didn't hear the word stop. They didn't get told anything. But now you've yeah. sent that person over the edge. And th- this speaks... I mean, we had a what was it, a couple weeks ago now that talk about critical thinking. And it's just about being mindful of your actions and your... Yeah. That you might have consequences that you can't see. And something I, I really liked the other day, um, something reminded me that it was Mental Health Day. Um, this was Tuesday, I believe. And... It, there was a post that said, when was the last time you asked somebody how they were? I think that's something we can all do. Nothing more than, hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. You don't have to get an, a genuine answer in response, but when was the last time you checked in with someone? And just do it. Because mm. it doesn't hurt. really doesn't. But you could change someone's day by doing that. I think that's yeah. something that... I like... I'm going to send it to you after, but mm-hmm. there's a podcast, a Joe Rogan podcast with Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart is a super, super positive guy, like really positive. And he's, he's big on the paying it forward method, but for positivity. 
mm-hmm. and like the fur the more people we have sort of spread in positivity the more sort of normalized and more people will kind of say it and um and he was sort of saying if you just hold the door for someone <laughs> say how how that person is hey it's been a rough couple of days but today let's make it a great day hey your hair looks really good today i don't know if you did something different with it but you say it in like a joking way and it was like someone probably needed to hear that yeah um and i think something that you and i both know is men don't get a lot of compliments in general no and that can either be from women men parents family whatever mm-hmm. friends etc and that can go a long way. We all know the stories of like, I got told this shirt look looked good 10 years ago. And Never I've been wearing it. Yeah, and I've been wearing it ever since. Well, but whenever I've, whenever I've spoken to like girls about that kind of thing, they go, oh my God, really? And it's like, yeah, you've got no idea just how little there is. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a saying, isn't there, that the, um, the first flowers a man will receive is on his funeral. Mm. And I think... Like, I don't know many guys that actively turn around and say, yeah, I'd really love some flowers. But it's the sentiment behind the but flower, yeah, isn't it? But it yeah, is it is the fact that you are giving something to someone. Give me a 3D printed flower that can like turn into like a cool <laughs> little action figure or something. That would be cool. Uh, well, my, my, my one is always, give me Lego. We're sorted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think most guys can get behind that. Um. <laughs> that is true. I'll put my life together. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've we've talked about some nice, interesting things today, and I think something I'd really like to ask the audience is um, to just kind of give us some sort of game or movie that you think you've watched that's had an impact, because mm. I think probably most people could sit there and think of something. Yeah. But I'd be really curious to know one, not just what it is, but how it affected you. Yeah, because I think that's really important that we do share these and we've mentioned a few that we've liked and our enjoyments of them and the effects that they've had but I think it's really kind of crucial to let the audience kind of you know give us some of their input and we might not get back to it but um, if we get the comments and we see the people interacting then yeah I think it's I think it doesn't have to be a big game as well no because one that comes to my mind and it's so simple and I love this story it was a it was a teenager who lost his dad young I think and they both used to play dirt rally mm-hmm. like a racing game and for those of you that haven't played um sort of racing games you used to have a ghost of another your best highest the best time that you managed to set for right. a lap yeah. let's say and then whenever you're racing that, you'll have a ghost of your car and what it was doing. Yeah. So then you can try and keep pace. And this kid used to do it with his dad. And his dad used to have the high score. And his dad passed away. And the kid would still play this game to this day. Not avidly, obviously. Yeah. But enough. And he used to be faster than his dad. And he used to stop right at the line so his dad could pass him. So <laughs> the ghost of the car didn't disappear. And he could still play against his dad constantly. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And again, like that's one small aspect of yeah. the game. Yeah. Just I mean, to put it in perspective, like it, it can just be a, a small thing. Yeah. I'd love to see more of those. Um, I, I'll share one more game just before we wrap things up. Uh, a game I, I, that came into existence at a really good time for me. It's called Florence. And mm. it's a very niche game. I know it's on the Steam. 
Um, on the steam. Sorry. <laughs> but it's it's literally just a following a narrative of a couple and a girl kind of has a bit of a miserable, not really fun life, but she meets somebody and the game kind of like showcases how falling in love is and the mm. music plays and she kind of flies off with the music and it's really nice. And then they actually go through a separation and it all goes around to the acceptance of being on your own and not kind of... And kind of getting over, yeah. and I, I think I mentioned it at the beginning. I've been through a separation, and that kind of came at the right time for me because yeah. it was a very powerful moment in the sense of I was sort of midway through kind of dealing with the depression of it, mm. and um, this was actually something that we researched a little bit in regards to Chloe's dissertation that we talked about last time, mm. um, and it was just. It did help me a little bit, kind yeah. of know what's coming next, of like the acceptance, the bit that I am still me. I think one of the things that they experienced in this game is that they did painting, they did art, and then when they uh, were with the partner, they kept doing it, but when they got separated, they stopped. And it was that love of painting that was something that really made them a unique and an individual, mm. and it was kind of getting back into that, sort of that thing that helped them get through it and I thought it wasn't like a massive game there was only sort of a few interactables throughout the whole thing but it was a really powerful story and I think it really spoke to me at the right time in my life that I wish there were more things like that and I think like you said that that video game about your um that boy that used to race his dad that mechanic must have been nothing that they ever thought about could have that impact on someone. Yeah, it really wasn't their intention at no. all, I imagine. That's such a nice way. I think, like... Because, again, I don't think you can really plan for that, can you? No. But that is a really nice way of um, holding on to a memory for somebody. And I think a lot of people can agree that when you have that special connection with someone and they do pass, having something to go back to speaks volume, doesn't it? Yeah. I know what you mean. But that's the importance of sort of game design, isn't it? And yeah. I remember when you spoke about your separation when you first heard about it, because I think we was in our first year or second year, something like that, a uni. And I remember when you was kind of saying, I could tell how obviously down you was with it. And um, I just tried to give a little bit of perspective. But I remember saying that part of the importance of being game developers, directors for movies, writers, any creative field, Mm-hmm. is you need to go through quite intense moments of your life yeah. so then you can understand how deep and meaningful those are and then try and translate that into your art. Like, again, if a family member passing you was really big into painting, yeah. then your paintings could change a little bit. And it could be for the better. It depends on how yeah. you channel it. But I remember kind of saying that not many people get an opportunity to have that intense change and emotion. And it's not a case of you should be grateful for that. I don't mean it like that. Mm-hmm. But it's more turning that into a positive and think about how can this actually affect my storytelling in games now? How can I give that perspective in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do a couple of months ago? Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite interesting. But yeah, we'd love to hear from everyone mm-hmm. um, and anyone who's got an interesting story. I think equally, I think it would be good for us to try and go on to Reddit and try and find other stories of people that have yeah. posted that kind of thing and maybe talk about it on another rambling episode because I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm going to title this episode but I think it would be good if we do these sort of like laid back episodes occasionally yeah. and sort of just touch base with each other um, but thank you all for listening, Thank you. appreciate your time see you later Bye.